The Galapagos were an afterthought. The day of that first, fateful landing party, the HMS Beagle had already completed four of her five-year voyage of exploration and discovery. Her mission had been to survey and chart the South American coastline, and that task was now complete. Captain Robert Fitzroy was a careful, skilled surveyor, and his work at the helm of the HMS Beagle would still be remembered in some circles, even if he had not carried such a famous passenger. All that was left was to get home, which in this time before the Panama Canal meant a long journey was still ahead. Captain Fitzroy plotted a course out from the coast of Peru and across the Pacific. The last islands they would encounter before heading into the open ocean would be the Galapagos. This volcanic archipelago had been on western maps since the 16th century, but no one knew quite what to make of this pile of rocks. Scattered archaeological finds suggest that indigenous peoples of South America had also reached the Galapagos at some point, but the lack of permanent settlement suggests that they were likewise unimpressed. Moby Dick author Herman Melville passed through on a whaling ship two decades after HMS Beagle had, and provided this forbidding description. In many places the coast is rock-bound, or more properly, clinker-bound, tumbled masses of blackish or greenish stuff like the dross of an iron furnace, forming dark clefts and caves here and there, into which a ceaseless sea pours a fury of foam, overhanging them with a swirl of gray, haggard mist, amidst which sail screaming flights of unearthly birds, heightening the dismal din. A century later, First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt visited troops there on a wartime morale-boosting tour, and remembered the islands as a place where you remove one rock only to find two more underneath. But despite it all, some species had found ways to flourish, which was Captain Fitzroy's primary reason for the stop. He didn't want to examine the wildlife, he was just there for the tortoise meat. In those days before refrigeration, fresh meat was a great luxury for sailors and their officers. Some tortoises could be eaten there, but each could also be thought of as a sort of cooler with legs. They could be kept in the hold, given minimal fodder, and slaughtered when the time was right. So it was a hungry landing party that approached the beach of San Cristobal that fateful day, September 16, 1835. Captain Fitzroy was aboard the boat, as was a midshipman named Philip Gidley King. Also along for the ride, as he had been for four years and counting, was a young man named Charles Darwin. Darwin's role with the crew was an unofficial one. Captain Fitzroy knew himself to be an intellectual, competent, but occasionally unstable man. He had risen to his rank when the previous captain, Captain Pringle Stokes, had shot himself in the head two years into her first voyage, driven close to madness by the isolation of the endless ocean and the pressures of command. Amazingly, Stokes survived his injury at first, and was able to converse with other officers despite the bullet that remained within his skull. But with the crude medicine of the day, especially the lack of antibiotics, a gaping head wound of any kind was a death sentence. The wound turned gangrenous, Stokes became delirious with fever, and he died twelve days after his attempted suicide. Having witnessed this horrific scene, Fitzroy was determined not to let himself reach such an extremity though his own bad end was all too similar, as discussed later. The solution, he believed, was to bring along a gentleman companion for company. When the young Charles Darwin applied for the position, Fitzroy accepted him on the spot. He was a great believer in a pseudo-scientific theory commonly espoused, 
which posited that personalities were manifest in certain physical features. He believed that no one with a well-shaped nose like Darwin's could prove to be bad company. Neither man could have imagined the remarkable impact that this job offer would have on world history. For his part, Charles Darwin was determined to see as much of the world as he could. He was a budding student of zoology and geology, but needed fresh, unusual specimens if he was going to make a name for himself in either field. His father objected to his adventure scheme, particularly the five-year term of the voyage, but was finally persuaded by other family members to fund Darwin's share of the expenses. It proved to be the best investment Robert Darwin ever made.